0: So, I have a little bit of a guessing game for you. Oh, let's play. I'll tell you how much plastic waste Americans generated last year. Oh, no. (laughs) All right. And then you're going to guess what percentage of that was recycled.
1: Oh, no. Okay.
0: So, Americans generated 51 million tons of plastic waste last year. (sighs) What percentage of that do you think was recycled?
1: going to say three.
0: (laughs) It was better than that. 5%. Oh,
1: wow. Okay, I almost (laughs) said five. Wow. I I was going to say five. I'm like, that seems like too whole of a number.
0: 5%.
1: Five.
0: (laughs) So for those of you playing at home, apparently this is from a Greenpeace report that just came out uh, this week, Monday. Uh, Apparently that's down from our high... 10% 10% in 2014. Ooh, 10 whole
1: percent. Yeah. That's okay. They're putting the rest of the plastic inside of our like bodies and stuff now. That's
0: the thing, man. Even in recycling and stuff, that stuff generates microplastics that people are breathing in. It's an incredibly toxic environment to do that in. So, like, recycling itself. Plus, when they recycle it, it turns out, like, that's not ever going to be food-grade recycling. Like, recycled plastic. Which is, I mean, one of the very important usage for it so it's rough um oh
1: good isn't it shitty that the way we're becoming cyborgs is with microplastics and like heavy metals in our body
0: yeah no just <laughs> lovely uh, apparently also 40% of americans just straight up don't have good access to recycling facilities like at all and then those of us that do are like excessively Throwing in recycling that can't be recycled. So, you know how it has a little recycle symbol with the number? Yeah, yeah. The vast majority of those, really, the only ones that can recycle are one and two.
1: <gasps> okay.
0: The next one drops like to 50% of recycling collection facilities nationwide can do like some of the number fives. Great. And that's like it. Like the other ones are just like yeah we put the recycling logo on there but nobody can recycle them so why do it mysterious i mean to feel good to like check the box of corporate responsibility
1: oh that's i mean you're right if you live like our parents live outside of the city limit and like they don't get a recycling bin like it becomes your personal responsibility to go take your recycling so if you live in a more rural area like that sucks
0: yeah just not an option So there you go, Uh, plastics, everyone's favorite.
1: Good, delicious, sprinkle me some plastics on my food, please, (laughs) crunch for that crunch.
0: All right, Uh, what are we actually here to do today?
1: (laughs) We are here, against all odds, to try to assuage some of the fears of the public with a listener Q&A. You know, we can't tackle the existential threat of climate change and, you know, impending doom and all that but we can answer your questions
0: yeah that's that's what we're here to do um the comfort of your soul is on you
1: <laughs> good luck i recommend halloween candy
0: yes that that works wonders
1: <laughs> we're giving out king-size bars this year redistribution man
0: my goodness
1: <laughs> that, that's my mutual aid is making all the parents in the neighborhood hate me yeah
0: talk about praxis
1: <laughs> take the candy and I'll just, like, write on all of them, like, communism's good.
0: <laughs> just uh, wrap a little red band on it with a little hammer and sickle.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. They're
0: just like, the communists give us gray candy.
1: <laughs> I think it's cool to be a gay communist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first up, we have a question from Adrian. Um, I hope I'm saying his name right. There were some accents on there in the Twitter DM, so forgive me if I'm not.
0: All right. so adrian said hey this is very random but i listened to your podcast on the struggle in ireland overall i was generally impressed by the knowledge of the historical context of the struggle but i have a few issues i wanted to straighten out it was said that sinn fein became a neoliberal party and that irish unity drifted from people's aspirations both are untrue sinn fein's objectives have remained the same and the ultimate objective being a 32 county socialist republic sinn fein in the last six county elections got its largest vote is ever seen this can be seen as a mandate for the reunification of the country and it's about us now pushing for a referendum on that which is enshrined in the good friday agreement we hope to see that referendum within the next decade it was said irish republicanism was at a weak point again this is completely the opposite it's at the, it's strongest ever with Sinn fine being the largest party north and south our support is strong in working class communities because we have been rooted in those communities fighting for public services fighting for community projects, and fighting for workers' rights. Our victory in 2020 was a result of the crisis in housing, healthcare, and declining living standards. While we won that vote on policies such as better public services and public housing, we also support the development of an economy that has worker cooperatives and community-owned industries at a grassroots level. Most of the older generation of the party are ex-combatants who fought in the liberation struggle, where many obviously lived through those days. They still play a massive role in the party, It's clear they still see the party in revolutionary terms and as a vehicle for independence and social liberation of the Irish people. Also, internationally, we have links with Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Palestine, the Basque country, and other revolutionary struggles and and governments.
1: I mean, those are like all my best friends in terms of governments.
0: That's a, a cool list. Yeah, I wanted to read that into the record basically because, like, I very much appreciate... The correction, like you know, we've talked about it before. I like being corrected.
1: <laughs> so thank
0: you, Adrian. Um, I went back to listen to our you know, section on there or whatever, how we were characterizing, and the source material that I was kind of working with. So I was kind of shooting from the hip a little bit with the characterization of Sinn Féin as neoliberal. The one account I was going off of there uh, was one of Rev Left Radio's episodes on the IRA, Uh, He had a Marxist organizer on the show named David Swanson, who was, he was interviewing about this and he kind of said, yeah, Sinn Féin shadow his for myself, neoliberal this. And so that's kind of what I was running with. This correction made me kind of look back into it some more. I think that the thrust of that was more about like the EU and sort of supporting that Project and, and trade relations and things like that. And saying, like, oh, that was.
1: That specific issue. Right. Maybe. Like, that was
0: kind of neoliberal of them to do that. But my research recently, looking into it based on Adrian's correction here, I mean, I, I think I agree with this correction that, for one, Sinn Fein does still support reunification. Like, they they have it in their platform they have it on their website they talk about it they they didn't so some sources have said that they didn't emphasize it in the most recent election but it's still there it's still a part
1: yeah yeah that's huge
0: and polling on this question does look increasingly good over the years it's not majorities but it's still like kind of close like if you look at the the graph of it it's like kind of converging and that's in Northern Ireland in in Ireland proper, the Republic of Ireland. They're like, yes, you know, yes, we would like that. (laughs) Uh, And then for the other part about socialism versus being neoliberal, it doesn't look like they're running around, you know, they don't have like big, you know, posters of Marx or, or, or
1: they're not handing out the Halloween candy with, with red ribbons. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But their platform does seem to be, far further left than any major party that we have here in the state so i can't talk too much shit about it i mean
1: yeah that sounds amazing all those things that they're trying to do as far as housing and like the deep roots of the working class like that sounds fantastic wish we had that kind of organization here
0: yeah for real so just kind of a my bad you know i mean that was those that was playing fast and loose with
1: the <laughs> neoliberal term i think maybe some of what happened there was you know such a wide breadth of topics in that episode and I think our wrap ups always tend to be like oh here's kind of the basic gist of how it is now so I think we just we didn't dive deep into that topic and you know it sounds like we needed more sources on that area I say we I didn't (laughs) I didn't help at all, so
0: so it's on me, right? This this motherfucker over here.
1: (laughs) No, that's not what I'm saying. I don't want to take credit for all the hard work you do. Is what I'm saying. And yeah, I mean, we're just people and we fuck up sometimes, but we like actively welcome this kind of interaction. So, like, go for it, y'all.
0: Yeah, man, because this makes us smarter. This makes our audience better informed. I mean, it's great all around. Win win. I hope that. Sinn Féin successful in pushing for this referendum it does look like there's more popular support you know especially I mean right now the United Kingdom is in shambles
1: <laughs> yeah I'd love to leave that place like, if I had a draw choice it
0: up, you know like this is maybe <laughs> a good chan- a good time to pu- push for this you know even more and the Scots you know if, if y'all want to break free too do it you know
1: <laughs> yeah just to everybody you guys should just leave that shithole
0: <laughs> strike while the iron is hot as they say <laughs>
1: Next, we'll talk about one of your favorite question mark subjects, (laughs) uh, which is Blackrock and Vanguard.
0: I'm talking about these all the time. Ask anybody who knows me.
1: (laughs) I mean, I have heard you mention them before, and I don't know anything about them. So uh, this is hearkening back to the very premise of the show, which is explain this to me. Okay. The origin of this question, though, does come from our friend Dan, um, always a good source for questions. Uh, and he basically asked us, like, kind of the same thing. Like, have you looked into these guys? Like, they supposedly own almost everything between the two, even Amazon, Tesla, Microsoft, etc. cetera. What are these?
0: I looked into this. These are basically giant investment firms. Uh, they're, they're clients. I got I got the, the horror movie lightning thunder going <laughs> on in the background. As you
1: say, investment firms. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, the world's
1: most scary profession.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, their clients all invest all kinds of money through them in all sorts of very complicated ways. I mean, you can like buy stocks through them, you can do like index funds, you can have a fancy guy in a fancy suit come in and give you reports on how smartly and like you know, shark and predatory ways that he's like you know, investing your money to get maximum returns or what, whatever, all sorts of shit you can do. I don't know all the details.
1: It's, it's fucking shell game. <laughs> you know? Well, but I, I
0: don't know. It's also regular people. Like you can have uh 401ks and like, I guess that's Roth true. IRAs yeah. Or whatever IRAs, all that shit, regular investment stuff. Eh, people have that, you know, or low grade, Regular Not regular people, really, but but through my understanding, Vanguard and BlackRock are like the managers and investors of their clients' money. So they have a ton of money coming in, and they are investing it and buying stocks and stuff, but they're on behalf of their clients. So let's say BlackRock goes in, buys a ton of Amazon stock, even if they have like more than 50% or whatever. If they end up with these big amounts, it's still like not technically them.
1: It's not like I now own it. It's like 100 people now own it or whatever.
0: Yeah, so it's not one guy owning it. It's like all these different clients running through these companies that own it. So they do like they can do proxy votes for like corporate governance bullshit. It's it's boring. No one cares about that. Does not matter. But they're not like in they don't have this weird controlling interest Mm, they're not like pulling the strings oh we've got to listen to what Vanguard says because they (laughs) because it's not Vanguard isn't really a single entity in that regards it's just a bunch of people investing buying the stocks
1: okay okay so like annoying and shouldn't exist but maybe not like the most evil
0: (laughs) yeah it's not as sinister as it looks basically uh it's still capitalism like it still sucks (laughs) it's bad
1: yeah yeah against it
0: it's still you know marx's general formula of capital is m c m prime
1: man crush monday prime
0: (laughs) yes uh (laughs) so capitalists invest m which is like money uh capital you know into commodities c and then they sell it for m prime which is more money more capital
1: it's fucking true, I mean, if you just look at the data around even housing, it's way easier for people to buy like second and third homes because they already have that starting capital of the first home
0: and that's one of the things that people have been complaining about these uh investment groups. Apparently, Blackrock doesn't directly engage in this, but certain other you know big huge ass uh investment firms do they will buy homes on the market in cash above asking price.
1: Of course. And
0: then, you know, use use that, spin it off in a, either sell it or spin it off into a a rental property management thing. And this just drives up housing costs for everybody because they're competing with a non-financed, like a cash offer above (laughs) asking price. Like, how are you going to, you know, what are you going to do? You know, but I think the video, tried to emphasize too much that these guys are like the end all be all and it's not these individual corporations that you should be worried about it's the faceless horde of corporate titans and their small business owning bootlicking underlings
1: (laughs) it's the system and the people who support
0: it yeah there you go that's it which I mean, they all have actual names and addresses. Let's not get it wrong. But oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> But they—that's—that's uh, that's the main thing. That the system is—is is that MC, M C M prime is, is—it's just—and sometimes they can take a shortcut. Capitalists would love to take the shortcut of money to more money. Oh and, yeah. I mean, that's what we saw with crypto, right? Is like they were just trying to just <laughs> trying to jump over it and not give you a real thing in between, and just. Just magic money. Do
1: some magic to it, yeah.
0: You know, and so they'll always try to do that. Speculating, uh, usury, which is what we used to call the, like, biblical crime of yeah, loading people money and charging interest. Uh.
1: <laughs> Dude, okay. I, do you know about, like, the history of that, I guess? What do you mean? Um. So I – that fucking lecture series I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> they were talking about usury and how, yeah, it's a crime. And so what, uh, you know, the the church did was um, – basically made it so that they changed the laws so that that's like one of the few professions that Jewish people could do. And so all the Jewish people became moneylenders and like that just like added reasons for people to hate them.
0: Yeah. And then the kings would periodically be like, Oh, I'm too much in debt to the Jewish moneylenders. Just get
1: rid of all the Jewish yeah, people. <laughs> I'm going
0: to incite pogroms against them, kick them out of my country, take all the gold back and there you go
1: yep yep and then they're like well i need someone to handle my money let me get them back here right it's ridiculous
0: yep that's called the primitive accumulation of capital folks it's bad yep (laughs) capitalism it's bad
1: that should be our new tech (laughs) okay next another sort of correction here from jared um he says i found your two episodes on food production under capitalism very interesting However, in the second episode, I found the discussions around organic meat and veganism maybe missed some points. I come from New Zealand, and we have a very destructive grass-fed dairy and beef industry here. And he also sent us an interview um, from like the national broadcaster in New Zealand, and I gave it a listen. It's really good. We'll go over that in a second. But he continues to say uh, that something that I mentioned about animal meat processing, in the absence of for-profit food corporations the transparency into what happens to animals inside of slaughterhouses will improve this made me stop and think a lot and i think what made me do so was the fact that this argument depends on an assumption of good faith in many scenarios it is sensible to assume that the proletariat would act in a more ethical fashion than the bourgeoisie however where our food comes from today is a subject that we are so willfully ignorant of as a society that i am skeptical of this position at best society will be slow to react and bring change to the way our food is industrialized Currently, there's too much cognitive dissonance. For that reason, I think that there's value in viewing veganism from a socialist perspective. The exploitation of both animals and land is greatly reduced by the promotion of a vegan diet. As vegan myself, I find the prevalence of meat in the Western diet a glaring example of capitalist decadence. The promotion of a vegan diet for those who already have an abundance of choice is therefore an important part of my socialist worldview. In your episode on combat liberalism... You talked about having a strong ideological front against liberal exceptionalism, and I think our consumer habits are an example of something we perhaps make too many excuses for. Woof, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm laughing because it's true. (laughs) So let's start with the interview. This is with an environmental academic named George Mombio. And it is really good. Highly recommend a listen. We'll have a link on our Patreon notes. Um, but you can also probably just do a Google and find it. It was from RNZ, which is... Um,
0: ridey New Zealand.
1: That sounds good to me. No, I just made it I'm up. like, wait, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Complete with bad New
0: Zealander <laughs> attempt.
1: <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a super good interview. It's only about like 45 minutes. I think the lady was really funny. She was She was the interviewer and she like is like pretty aggressive in her interviewing style like I don't know if that's just like the norm there and I'm just so used to softballs in the American press uh but she's like what about this what about this like I don't know it was interesting though because it like spurred good discussion and I think she was like still respectful but basically the the large points in there was that like land use is a huge issue in terms of environmentalism we think, you know, the big problem is cities and there's too many people and, like, that's the real pollutant. But, like, only 1% of our landmass is urban. Mm. <laughs> and 38% of it is used for farming.
0: This is it worldwide or?
1: This is worldwide. Wow. Okay. Um, and most of it, though, is only in, like, certain areas of the globe, though. So, like, everybody is farming. And 26% total is used for pasture-fed meat, which only provides 1% of our protein. So, just, like, very bad efficiency
0: yeah that's kind of wild,
1: yeah. so it's super bad for basically everything. It's bad for water usage, it's bad for carbon. Um, all that land is taking up from like natural ecosystems. It just causes a lot of waste, and he talks about like some of the the common I guess I would say common ways we try to soothe ourselves with these like silver bullet solutions. of Like, oh, what if we do bioplastics or biofuels or what are the problem is just population. And it's really interesting because he, he just like tackles myths really well. I think he's just like, yeah, that's just not true. Like, here's the real problem. Like, he does a great job of like pointing to the actual problem of, you know, it's not population growth. It's not, you know, it's not any of these other single issue things um, and gives great examples of like how those get twisted by capitalism. So, for example, biofuels, that is often starts with like a lot of positive marketing of, oh, it's just going to be made out of like the waste material we don't use. It's just like, you know, the stems of a plant or, you know, the stuff we'd normally throw away. We're going to turn into this cool fuel. But as soon as there's a market for it, forget about it. They're going to start planting that crop specifically for that fuel. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, at one point says, like, the biggest determining factor in how much you actually contribute to waste in the environment is how rich you are. Like, that's it. Like, you can, even if you're trying to be an eco-conscious consumer and all that stuff, like, all in all, like, that is the largest determining factor.
0: The richer you are, the more waste you produce or the or
1: The more waste you produce, the more... Harmful you are to the e- ecosystem. So I'm just saying, again, these guys have addresses. <laughs> <laughs> Parody. He also talks about some cool, like, potential avenues for solutions. One I really was interested in was something called precision fermentation, uh, which is basically using microorganisms to make a really protein rich flour that's, like, not dependent on photosynthesis. So, like, totally is outside of that cycle, which I just think is fascinating. But yeah basically he, he pushes against the the notion i think the very capitalist notion of, of dominion over the land of like we have to utilize every bit of land for production and says so like no we need to return these lands to the wilds like we need that that's that's how we live
0: right we have to be we're we're a part of this ecosystem you know and, and like we were saying in well, what the hell do we call that episode? E-
1: uh, intro to Eco-Socialism.
0: <laughs> yeah, our Eco-Socialism I write the episode. titles,
1: guys. He does not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, you know, instead of seeing capital just sees n- the natural world is completely renewable and just a gift, just, just free ingredients versus, you know, to look at things scientifically, you have to say, well, I'm a part of this metabolic structure that has fl- inflows and outflows and we We can't just bleed it dry. I mean, yeah. we can, but we can do that only once.
1: <laughs> then it's done. And we're done, yeah. I mean, I highly recommend giving out a listen. I might try to see if his book is at my library because he sounds really cool. I like his approach, and, yeah, um uh, recommend. As far as kind of the rest of Jared's argument, uh, I do admit that I, I do tend to think the best of the theoretical proletariat. Uh, i I have a very kropotkin type faith in them i think
0: just turn them loose
1: (laughs) it'll be fine
0: we'll figure out the cloaks
1: yeah just just do it Figure out the
0: houses
1: (laughs) but i i do agree with the overall point of like yeah we are super disconnected from our food like i i read advice columns and like in the parenting one there's always someone being like when do i have to tell my kid that chicken is also like the same thing as the animal Like you, you have to, you know, have those conversations with people because the way our meat is produced is so sliced up and packaged. But my theory is that if we are doing things like advocating for, even just like something as basic to socialism as like worker rights, that will result in like more humane treatment of animals because, like, we've seen the studies on slaughterhouses; they're horrific, one of the worst places to work. Yeah. Just in general.
0: <laughs> it was routinely, yeah, awful, high stress.
1: High stress, high physical risk, all that shit. Um, so even if, like, that's our base level argument of good faith, like, I think we can all agree, like, that's something we would all fight for in that scenario. Like, that would improve it. I, I, I do think, like, consumers would have more power in this scenario, too. I, I also think the circumstances of our revolution would probably reduce our meat intake, if it's such an inefficient system, like we can't fucking afford to do that, you know, probably yeah. um, unless we're we are in full on replicator town. <laughs> so, and I, and I think if I had my druthers, like, yeah, I think we should reduce it. I think it's the responsible thing to do. I think meat should be like an every now and then celebratory thing. I think we do have enough science now to like start exploring these alternate protein sources and these other ways of approaching it. So like, I don't think problem is like, we, we won't be able to survive. I think it's more of like, it is more of a self-discipline problem, I guess. But I, one that I hope we could like get on the same page. I, I think my, my issue is I don't feel comfortable saying like no more meat ever. You know, maybe I'm just, maybe I am too soft in that way, but like I, I do, I think it's okay to say like, Hey, you know, a couple times a year you can totally have meat.
0: That makes sense. I am comfortable with just telling myself that if I need to, then okay. But telling other people is the difference. But I do think that we could help ourselves by making sure that eco socialism is kind of at the heart of our project, right? This can help address it because the main thing, you know, at the end of the day, you do like have to put your faith in people like you're saying, right? And, and that means you can't really command them. Hey, you want to be a good socialist, a good communist, you're going to be vegan and that's it okay why like and i think the the convincing has to come in there and 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 showing them why that's part of why that will help the overall project and right now i don't think it'll help them mm, to make that individual choice aside from their own soul but on in large scale i think it will so we've got to be you know among the masses educating them about the importance of caring for the earth and the role like this interview points out of the of meat consumption you know in that process that's just an awareness campaign which is extremely ineffectual in <laughs> capitalist societies Absolutely. oh great i'm aware that you know we only recycle five percent of plastics so what
1: yeah i'm not gonna Nothing's go gonna figure out how to do it myself
0: <laughs> right uh oh i'm aware that they're you know Destroying the Amazon rainforest. Well, okay. What am I going to do with it? Nothing. Because it's the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. Awareness campaigns, jack shit. But in the revolutionary circumstance, awareness campaigns go from ineffectual to crucial. Because now, who's in the driver's seat? The people. It's the people, right? So, the people need to be aware. So, when we're talking about, oh, you have too much faith in the people, that's part of the project is making sure that the people are educated, are aware of the consumption of meat and its impact on all this and everything. And yeah, their their knee-jerk reaction might be, oh, but this is how we've always done it. I've always had, you know, turkey on Thanksgiving and whatever, you know, or chicken nuggets. You know, I love chicken wings. I'm not going to give that, you know, like, okay, that's their normal human response. But when they're shown like its impact and everything and what you can do about it, not what you can beg some corporate executive to do about it that changes thing i think I, you know i think that changes the the scene to me maybe that's the same thing with consumption choices too consumer habits and all that is that right now it's of extremely limited impact
1: yeah yeah i feel useless against that kind of stuff
0: the only you know, like positive maybe is like it helps popularize certain ideas for the future but it not not it's not going to really change things until the masses, you know, actually are in control, control their own destiny, and then their consumption choices, I mean, that steers society at that point. But right now we're just like it's it's a it's kind of a a project of weighing your sins,
1: you know. Yes, it all comes down to personal choice. Um but I I do think it is something we need to consider once we are there and and have that in mind. I definitely I wouldn't want a vegan on our council. Jared, you're welcome to apply. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> It may be the case, though, of of the concept of prefiguring the society that you're trying to build. And so it may not be something that we're trying to recruit people with, but it may be something that active communists and socialists and anarchists want to cultivate within ourselves, like sort of start living that so that we can show the benefits of that to people in the future and say why it's good and why we're already doing that.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I think, again, it's just really hard to track that impact as it stands today. You know? Like that's that seems like a tall order. I mean Right now it's just like
0: it's again it's it's just your soul. It's just you. It's that's that's the only person it's affecting. It's which not is good. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm also thinking about accessibility to like you know, we were vegan for a few months, uh a few years ago, and it just it takes so fucking long to prepare like good, tasty, healthy vegan meals. And I know there are some quick ones, but like it overall i found it to be quite challenging um you had to be like just way more creative and way more willing to like spend time finding certain ingredients especially depending on where you live i know in my neighborhood i would not be able to find everything i needed like i would have to drive extra which i already do cuz i'm very picky <laughs> 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 but um I think that's something we could work on, though, in our future society being like, what if in, you know, the communal kitchens where everyone can come get a meal for free, like, that's all vegan. And like, if you want to cook meat, you can, but like, you have to take the extra steps to go get that. But like default food is vegan or like, you know, you have professional cooks who are preparing it and that obviously lessens the labor of it. Like it becomes something that's really easy and accessible to eat.
0: I dig that. All right, uh, that was that was that whole chapter that Kerpakkin spent on, like the kitchens and mm-hmm. the. I love that chapter. <laughs> he really got into it.
1: I just picture like Captain Cisco from Deep Space Nine, just like cooking up in the communal kitchen, like <laughs> sit down.
0: He <laughs> got gumbo today.
1: Hell yeah. <laughs> next is a little shorty from gabe and they just sent us a hilarious venn diagram that i wanted to post i'll message them and make sure that it's okay to post for now i'll just describe it for the listeners uh this is based on some talk we had in episode 54 about the terms uh there's a lot of thunder in the background listeners i'm gonna try to edit it out but we'll see Uh, (laughs) (laughs) if it's extra spooky it's our halloween episode i guess yeah But yeah, about the terms MLM and all the different meanings. So you got pyramid schemes, you got the gay meaning, uh, men loving men, (laughs) if you're familiar with fan fiction tagging, Uh, and then (laughs) communism, Marxist, Leninist, Maoist, (laughs) Well,
0: There you go.
1: All right, so between pyramid scheme and gay, we have a triangle, which is a classic gay symbol. Between gays and communism, we have against heteronormativity, totally. All right. Well, what's the connector between the last two
0: between communism and pyramid scheme
1: difficult to do successfully
0: uh it's a pretty good one yeah maybe you know hasn't <laughs> quite pull been off. pulled off 100 <laughs> percent. yeah that's um, a good one
1: a bad faith take would be like impossible it's, it's a scam
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i put rely on the masses
1: oh okay one's in good them. and bad ways <laughs> yeah
0: no <laughs> yeah, this is this is great i also had another one for gay and communism fashionable
1: yeah yeah communism tends to have some fun fashion choices that's
0: great do you have any other ones
1: no I don't think so
0: I had one I don't know if it's acceptable so we can cut it okay (laughs) (laughs) sure but for gay and pyramid scheme like both have tops and bottoms
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's fantastic we're keeping that in absolutely (laughs) (laughs) all right that's good. That's very good.
0: <laughs> and uh, that's all I got. Okay. MLM, of course, is the perfect medium of this. Like,
1: yes, Wonderful. there's no
0: other alternative to go in the center of that Venn diagram.
1: <laughs> Wonderful. So, thank you so much, Gabe. <laughs> that was a fun game to fill in that blank.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Next, we have a question from Tim, asking us about our thoughts on unionization in the tech industry. It seems like it's taken off recently with news about Google and Amazon employees forming a union but overall seems to still be in its infancy. I work in tech, so I have some skin in the game, but find a lot of my colleagues not particularly paying any attention to developments regarding unions or care more about tech than their rights as workers. He references an article which talks about the history of making software and also uh, unions as it relates to that. Um, and he basically is like, hey, well, where is this going? What can I expect from this? It looks like it's in the early stages do you think there's anything uh, particularly unique in the tech sector when it comes to unionization? And, you know, also, how do you organize when your company is like working remote?
0: All right. Uh, yeah. And he mentions uh, probably not something to bring up on the next company Skype call. <laughs> That's a, a good, good instinct. Idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Defo. All
0: right. So the article linked here uh, called Agile and the Long Crisis of Software is an interesting read in terms of the origins of agile
1: Ugh, don't say that word to me outside of work hours
0: so you've you've had experience with this <laughs> Oh thing. Yeah. yeah yeah one of the many people scarred by this system
1: <laughs> it's the worst it reduces effort down to fucking leaderboards and points and bullshit
0: yeah yeah the article kind of makes it clear that it's like a new iteration Of the age-old quest to rein in programmers to be more like manageable, disciplined little cogs for the bosses and the business people.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: It rationalizes and commodifies knowledge workers who kind of see things as more like abstract, like, oh, I get these things done in, you know, however much time it takes me. And it just kind of flows to make them like justify their work every day basically a form of like do-it-yourself surveillance
1: absolutely uh, i come from kind of the other side of this if there are any developers listening i'm a designer please don't hate me <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same side okay but what ends up happening a lot of times is like so so if you're not familiar with the agile system um it basically makes you assign points to say like how long you think something's going to take and like there's different point values like you generally higher is like that's more days it'll take me But what ends up happening is um, sometimes you discover in the process, like, okay, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And so you have to, like, end up making cuts to make something, like, shittier than you want to put out because you have to complete it. And so, like, you end up with – there's just no good decisions in it. There's no room for flexibility. There's no room for creativity. None of that.
0: (laughs) Because you have to make the sprint, right? Yes. The end goal deadline, sort of, to speak. Uh, You have these, like, daily – I don't know, at the workplace that I was at, they called it huddles, but you can call it whatever, your day little meeting.
1: Scrum is a common one.
0: Yeah. And this is where you tell them the metrics or whatever the hell you did yesterday, basically. Sometimes very granular, like this is exactly what I did. I mean, it's (laughs) it's the knowledge worker version of Taylorism, you know, of measuring Mm. every little body movement of the worker to make sure they're as efficient as possible.
1: That is a great comparison. I've never thought about that, but it totally is.
0: The article's interesting because, you know, so it describes that, which I thought was a good little background thing, but the author kind of ends it by saying, Agile has the potential to foster solidarity among workers. If teams truly self-organize, share concerns, and speak openly, perhaps Agile could actually lend itself to worker organization. Maybe management through Agile is producing its own gravediggers.
1: Are they saying because we all hate Agile so much, we'll revolt, or we're using Agile for a revolution?
0: See, I thought the latter. I guess the former actually makes some sense
1: because <laughs> I know some folks who hate it just as much as I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know if, if it's if it's like oh, we just start like talking and organizing and and stuff. At, no I don't fucking think way. No one's honest at the agile meetings. You're just trying to like check a box. You're talking. You're even if the boss is not there, you're talking to the boss because that gets passed up. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. it's it's and it's focus on accountability is like uh, to me always bred resentment it's like i gotta go and meet with these people i don't like hate them on their own really but like <laughs> i, I gotta meeting. go and yeah it's like oh i gotta go like and, and be judged by them on what mm-hmm. i did or didn't do make a show of how productive i am when i know that i blew off half my day yesterday but i gotta pretend <laughs> like i didn't
1: yeah I mean, we all do we all we all pad our deadlines we all you know overstate our resumes like that's just what you have to do and the thing about like agile, one of the things that drives me crazy is like it's work that begets more work. Like literally, whole positions are created just to manage like all these points and like all and this they have organization
0: consultants and oh, all yeah. the shit.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, there's training for, it. there's all this shit. And I'm just like, how much time are we wasting talking about the work instead of like fucking doing the work? Yeah. <laughs> and like then I'm also like, how much time am I wasting like doing work that doesn't matter instead of like meaningful work? <laughs>
0: <laughs> True. The crazy thing is that uh the article kind of talks about the history of it and how agile kind of came from this previous workflow waterfall management yeah waterfall yeah <laughs> that's its like origin story or something and apparently that got so bogged down that people were like oh we're going to do agile it's going to be so, nimble and better so much better but it basically just bogged down in the, it's same, the same way thing. yeah so um but let's talk unionizing cuz even if it doesn't spring out of agile it can still happen in technology and in the tech sector even like tim mentioned uh in you know hybrid kind of workplaces and stuff and remote uh one of the questions was about is there are there differences in the tech sector i don't think there's an inherent difference but i do think that that remote situation will change some of the tactics definitely luckily unions are cool as we're want to say on this (laughs) program and they like to help people start their own unions you know, solidarity, all that. So there, there are resources out there to look at. So where me, little me, never started a union, <laughs> I can still give you advice. <laughs> <laughs> so there's even a campaign to organize digital employees in the tech and gaming sectors mm. uh, by a union called Communications Workers of America. Interesting. Yeah, there, there's a guide. I'll, I'll link it in the notes here uh, that the CWA put together to help you get started. But that's what I'm going to basically use as my template here on advice. Uh, So the first step in union organizing is talking to your coworkers about your workplace concerns. What you want to do is make a list with them of your top five issues. You know, we want more pay, better benefits. You know, what are the conditions like here that we don't like? Or how's the boss treating us unfairly or whatever? A bitch session, which you can easily do, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we've all done
1: this. We all have the chat with that one guy who's on our side.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So you start talking to your coworkers. Now your eventual goal is going to be to recruit around 10% of your workforce. Okay. Eventually you don't that's have to a be lot there yet
1: for some companies.
0: Yeah. But like, you know, you're starting out kind of with a nucleus of people to kind of determine if there's a base of support yeah. for forming a union at all. Or if you're working in, you know, the Donald Trump 2024 sign factory, maybe there's <laughs> not, you know, maybe, maybe that's not going to work. <laughs>
1: My pillow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Mike Lindell's factory. Maybe oh, not. Gosh. So uh, one thing that Tim mentioned was not doing on was not doing it on the Skype call. Yes. Yeah. No.
1: Defo. Take that offline. Don't line. do that.
0: Any work monitored technology cannot be used at this stage. It's really easy if the bosses catch wind of unionization efforts pre actual unionization efforts they found this out at Starbucks and stuff recently that basically if they catch wind of it too soon they can kind of soft retaliate against you soft and end meaning that they haven't actually like legally broken any laws cuz you There's haven't actually no started a union mm-hmm. or a drive for it but hard on your end because you're 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 getting you're out, fucked of, the out yeah. of the job yeah
1: so. yeah special warning to tech workers like i know a lot of us will end up using work laptops for personal reasons Um, if you're working app design, I know a lot of people who test their apps on their own phone, um, that can come with like security profiles. So like you want to take that off of your phone, (laughs) that kind of stuff, double check your tech.
0: Yeah, for sure. But you know, even if you're remote, you can chat in other ways, you know, Mm -hmm. you can text, you can email, you can do a discord, whatever that's not on company network company technology that sort of thing like you said with your phone maybe it's not on the network you're using on data but they can still monitor in some way
1: i mean i don't know the extent of it maybe i'm totally wrong about the privacy but like uh not for me thanks
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's i think harder to do still because there's less of a reason to socialize in that remote setting
1: Mm -hmm.
0: why are you doing this but
1: it's awkward you have to be like can i have your phone number (laughs) Yeah, like that that always sucks to have to ask a work co coworker, coworker,
0: like, hey Yeah. <laughs> but maybe the trick here is to try to read their vibes in the normal company meetings and Slack combos and whatever else you're doing. Try to, you know, gauge who's kinda like not a narc, you know, who's not an <laughs> asshole. Who's not a lap dog, you well, know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then Approach with the union ideas on those one-on-ones like texts or whatever outside and then form a group chat with all your discovered comrades. Uh, so that, that's the initial thing, talking to people. Then you go to building an organizing committee. So this is like, this is where you're trying to get to 10% of your employees. They should be representative of your workplace overall. You want experienced people, you want newer people, you want a mix of everybody in particular, people who garner respect, and this yeah, is kind of yeah. a seniority thing necessarily, but everyone in, in you know you, you kind of gravitate towards leaders. people, yeah. yeah, who know what the fuck they're doing, that sort of thing. And then this stage is where you can contact a union like the CWA or whoever to get advice and get support on the next step, which is going to be building majority support. So once you have that organizing committee together. This is where you start talking with your fellow workers and trying to convince them to support unionization. So outside of the people who you've cautiously felt out, now you're going to start saying, hey, let's like have a union to people. The guide that I'm referencing recommends getting workers to sign a public petition, supporting the union and and stating your key issues and your goals, but not actually revealing like who's on that list until you've got a majority so they can't like single them out and go talk to them and everything
1: okay gotcha
0: they also say to restrict it to breaks and non-working locations or off of company property so to us this is still like avoiding company monitored communication they also mention and this is just kind of true across the board this is where you can start to expect if they haven't picked up on you already (laughs) now they're gonna know oh yeah and the company's going to jump in, and all of a sudden they are both going to be your family. <laughs> they're going to beg you, please give us another chance to fix these problems without some outside union.
1: Come on, baby, I can be better. Coming
0: in, yeah, they're going to they're going to do this, and also like threaten you, and if you don't, you
1: know. <laughs> it is textbook abuse.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, that's when they're going to start jumping in and with all the, with all the tactics, all the mandatory meetings, but yeah, from there, basically you're looking at gathering majority support, holding a union election that's overseen by the national labor relations board, uh, and, and, and doing that the union at this point, whatever union you're working with, and you definitely should do that. They should be helping you, guiding you, getting you materials, having their union organizer work with you. But again, remember you're the one in the driver's seat. You know, if you get to this point, all throughout it, you are the one doing it, you and your workers. So when they come outside, when they come out there, the bosses and everything, and they tell you, oh, we don't want these other people. It's like, my oh, fucker me. I'm me. i and That is me. These guys. <laughs> I you <know>? am people. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wow. I mean, one, that sounds really fucking hard. It does. <laughs> I mean, I think tech is an interesting field. Like he was asking, you know, how how is that unique to me? I think tech is really interesting because I think there's a bit of a dichotomy there between maybe what... The pop culture thinks of as tech in terms of like oh it's just like go run and you know break things and like very disruptor very startup that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um which absolutely abuses the fuck out of its workers like for yeah. sure and then you have like just larger companies that definitely can still abuse their workers i'm not saying they don't but because they have larger budgets or like Like, these are the people that are mollified by capitalism. These are the people that are in the cushy jobs that, like, aren't too hard and, like, make a lot of money. (laughs) Mm, So I think that's going to be the trick is figuring out, you know, what kind of situation you're in and how to agree on the the grievances that are going to arise from different types of companies. Like, I'm almost more interested in, like, a cross-company union, I think, for tech um, for that reason, just because, like... I think it'd be really hard to organize some of like the larger, those cushier positions.
0: Okay. So you're saying more of like an industrial union that doesn't just cover that one workplace, but is like all tech, all coders, all programmers.
1: I think maybe. Yeah. Because I, I, I I think the same applies for like designers and, and uh, you know, that whole field is, you know, that runs the gamut from like severely abused freelancers and, people in these really small startup places to like people who are doing okay, comfortable. Um, and I still care about those people. Don't get me wrong. And I want to be involved in helping them. Um, but I can't personally say like, here's my list of grievances because I'm being treated like shit. So Like I'm, I'm not, but I want to help people who are.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense.
1: Just a thought.
0: Yeah. And I mean, from the other end of that, that would be the, the difficulty in, Gauging where your coworkers are at because you're like, oh, they seem pretty cool, but you don't really know how much they're bringing down, how comfortable they are, and then you approach them and like, no, everything's great, I love it, you know, <laughs> it's
1: cool. <laughs> I'm
0: like, ah, oh, shit. Okay. Anyway, uh, catch you later.
1: <laughs> all right, bye. <laughs> all right. That was unionizing one hundred and one. <laughs> easy, not easy. Yeah, at again,
0: all. check out the links. You know, there's. I've seen multiple guides of this type so there's different ones to fit different situations i'm sure
1: cool all right next we have a question from jimmy and they ask how would you recommend talking to people who came or whose family came over from socialist projects or countries Uh, i mentioned in past emails that i am vietnamese american and the diaspora is a fucking mess even liberals don't really know the history of vietnam so it's an upward battle to challenge them to question their lived experiences Uh, I know leftist Cubans who talk about dealing with right-wing Cubans regarding the revolution, Chinese friends who also combat propaganda around the revolution and around Mao, and tons of Eastern Europeans who engage with all of their past. Obviously, all these histories vary greatly, but I know it's a struggle for me sometimes, so I can't imagine how it is to explain to someone uh, when you can't be like, well, you know, I'm this ethnicity, so...
0: (laughs) Yeah. What do you think here?
1: I agree. This is a super thorny issue. I think we... Live in an era where, I mean, if you've been on Twitter, <laughs> personal experience is the only fucking thing that matters, apparently.
0: As a blank.
1: Yeah, exactly. As a whatever. Or like have you have you seen the garden tweet? No. Oh my! You missed out on the coffee with my husband tweet. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm I'm regular.
1: Okay, I'm so happy for you. Honestly, <laughs> good for you. Uh, way to be offline. Um, this woman made a tweet saying i'm so happy that i get to have coffee with my husband every morning out in the garden and people attacked her and we're like well some of us can't afford to do that or some of us hate our husbands and like like all this <laughs> shit like personally i can't do this so this sucks or like this is ableist or this is whatever and it's like whoa what
0: That's are we wild.
1: doing so it's it becomes impossible to have conversations because everyone is so frankly self-centered and centering their narrative Um, and, and it's the thing of like, you can't invalidate my story here. So, yeah, I mean, I've definitely met people who fall into this category. Um, especially as the social media person for the show. Woo boy. Get a lot of angry (laughs) folks in my DMs.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't tune in till after they've cleaned that shit up. So
1: yeah, I delete shit. So
0: again, I'm regular.
1: (laughs) Good for you. You don't have worm brain. (laughs) So yeah, it's really hard. And I would say it's pretty pointless to argue against that kind of personal experience. You're always going to lose. I instead try to validate and express empathy and be like, yeah, that sucks. And, you know, I I return to our, our dear, dear Maxim, two things can be true at once. Because, you know, your family could have had a very horrible, awful, no good time there. But other people didn't. And and that's what we have to fight. And that's that is what we one of the core things we have to fight against on this show is the idea of like painting these communist and socialist projects with such a broad brush of like it was the worst. Everyone was starving. It was evil, blah, blah, blah. And like yeah, we're, 10
0: billion people died.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and like our job is to try to look at that further and be like, who's saying this? Why are they saying this? Do we have any more accurate numbers, you know, and do our best to try to parse through that data? um but it's really hard when you're up against someone's personal experience.
0: Yeah, I would agree for sure. Like and and with that, I think we try to do a good job of admitting the excesses of revolutions where they happen.
1: Yeah, we got the strike system.
0: <laughs> <laughs> admitting the shortcomings of actual socialist states, you know, past and present, what they're doing that we like and dislike. I think that helps us improve future projects. It's a good and also tactically it's a good way to look reasonable to mm-hmm. whoever you're talking to.
1: Absolutely. Like just it. people value concession a lot because it's so rare in our terminally online society.
0: Well, it's, it's like everyone's encountering bad improv people like <laughs> online, you know, they they type this thing out and then someone else replies with no, that's wrong. Uh-huh. Which, instead of a yes. And technique, they <laughs> Always value that be a lot.
1: Improving.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Always be improving. that's our thing is yeah. Okay. All right. Sure. To the extent, I think to the extent that you can, because, uh, I mean, quite frankly, you're going to deal with intended or not anti-communist propaganda a lot of times rather than true firsthand experience. Oh, we heard, or there were stories of, this is not something that someone actually went through. I mean, it may been be like second or third hand, but it may not be, you know, I mean, we hear all these sorts of things. Everybody's got, even within one's own family. You have tall tales and legends and shit that you're like, "Mm, I've heard this this, this story no longer checks out. (laughs) It's
1: just not add up. Yeah. I mean, like, even our mom, I mean, she's complained about the socialized healthcare in Mexico. And, like, I I think it's easy to complain about something you're no longer in uh, because you're, you're bought into seeing your current situation as better. Or at least you hope it is. So, like, with that kind of stuff, you're like, you know, people like, oh, the long wait lines in Canada, they're terrible, that kind of thing. You would be like, uh, you also have long wait lines here. Like, that has not gotten better here.
0: Well, yeah, it depends. Yeah. In our case, in that specific case, it depends on how much money you have, uh, whether you're lucky enough to have employer health insurance or whatever, <laughs> a good enough plan even within that. There's all sorts of mitigating factors. And you also have to look at the converse of that, which is, oh, you have long wait lines.
1: For something free? Sure. Right
0: for for <laughs> the, the alternative was before this we didn't have healthcare. <laughs> yeah, we had a doctor that we we would you know either travel miles to get to, or yeah. would come like once a year. This is the alternative. So so this was a, a major step up. But that's a very specific example. But there's lots of different iterations of cutting through that and seeing what are the actual facts. Why do why were people. I mean, we don't we don't ex- exactly, ex- you know, we're, we're not super fans of the guy, but still, why were there, you know, these mile long lines or whatever, super long, I don't know, mile, but like long lines of, of people <laughs> coming to pay their last respects to Stalin when he died.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Maybe some people were making a show of it, but I mean, some people also like were saved from the Nazis because of this guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like these revolutions, they're made up of like tons of people. You know, like inherently these are socialist revolutions. They are provided but for by the masses. So that means like a fuck ton of people said, yeah, I'm on board.
0: So, yeah, I mean, you're you're going to, you know, you're going to have different backgrounds. It's going to make things awkward. I think, like you said, to keep in mind. Your own lived experience doesn't speak for all people from that country. Yeah. Here we are in the capitalist hellhole, the United <laughs> States. Rife with capitalism supporters, let alone capitalists. And, and we're and we're communists saying how bad it sucks, you know, and and, and obviously you couldn't just say, Oh, everyone in America agrees with them. You yeah. Know, like <laughs> they I'd be don't. very mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so so other the opposite happens, right? So even in these socialist ongoing socialist projects, historical ones, I mean, you know, you're still there's still tons of people who have lived through the collapse of the soviet union or, or or socialist eastern european state there's there's all these examples of people who like like we said you know one of the common examples you get is you know former uh east germany people saying oh how bad it was or whatever but i watched that whole documentary series of people who were like man i miss that shit
1: yeah yeah for everyone saying it's bad there's or the same people admitting some of it was good. <laughs> but for everyone that says it's bad, there's also people saying, like, that was fucking awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I guess I guess when we're tallying it up, they may, you know, I think it's good to to listen for points that you can be like, hmm, I do want to look more into that. Like, were they actually bad at this, you know? Definitely your first instinct shouldn't be like, oh, fuck, it turns out communism's bad. Like, obviously, <laughs> don't win. do that. but You uh, got me. <laughs> you know, but, but, but listen, I think it's a good, a good way to, at the very least, sharpen your defense of different things, you know, go, go in and read about it and see where they actually, you know, was this particular project or this current state, is it fucking up in this department? Cause then you'll be like, okay, this is something I can admit. Or you'll be like, actually, no, they, they're not, you know, they're, they're <laughs> actually good at this. Like, here's why, you know, and and you can, you can add that to your, to your arsenal it's that's one of the reasons i like being proven wrong about things, being corrected is that either i learn something and i'm like whoa okay cool that's a better idea than i had or mm-hmm. i can be like well that that's no that's stupid and here's why
1: <laughs> no definitely it's a win-win yeah it's a, it's good to have those dialogues and it, it's always so difficult to be again like respectful because it is it can be so personal people turn this into like you're you're decrying my family that kind of thing so mm-hmm. you know tread with caution Jimmy also sent us a fun question which of course we're going to do which socialist leader uh, Marxist anarchist or otherwise would you have crushed on if they went to your high school uh, there's like really only one or two right answers for this for me it's Shay. I mean Wow body be the body or Emma Goldman depending on my mood and my <laughs> All
0: right. depending on your <laughs> the gender of the week <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm surprised yeah. you didn't go for young stalin that's a popular pick
1: he is a hottie totally <laughs> but I too mean, much of
0: a bad boy vibe
1: yeah yeah I, I don't know if i can go there
0: but Che had a motorcycle so also a bad boy
1: yeah definitely a bad boy but he's hilarious he seems funny <laughs> good sense of humor very hot hates capitalism that, that's all i need in a man
0: Check, check, check.
1: <laughs> Emma Goldman, very hot, likes to dance. I love to dance, so we could dance together. There you go. I think I think we'd be a good match, too.
0: All right. Um, my pick was Ito Noe.
1: Oh, she's cute.
0: Yeah. And and she's like artsy, literature, nerd mm, type. Yeah. You
1: know? She could write you poems.
0: Especially, like, especially you're saying when you went to high school, like, everyone's pretentious as fuck in high school. So <laughs> you're like, oh, that's deep. That's a deep poem. Like, yeah. You know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's fair.
0: <laughs> I'm sure some of you guys were well-adjusted and, like, normal in high school, but I feel like... Listen, my, you know, I we was all wrote some tall.
1: shit in high school. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So, that would... Yeah, Ito Noe is where I'm going there.
1: Good choice. Next up, from Kate, asking us to share some resources for news and analysis that is not Western-slash-capitalist-centered. Uh, I want to read more about world events without the typical U.S. slash-capitalist propaganda. Me too. Any tips here?
0: All right. Uh tip number 1 is not what you're asking for, but this is like the actual sl- like the real solution to this. It's it's quite good um is
1: get good at translating the news.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh to to understand the press as kind of like almost a mouthpiece for the establishment. So I'm talking like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, the papers of record or whatever. These guys are like getting press releases and stuff from the State Department, from the government. They're representing the establishment view. And then you can kind of translate a lot of the news yourself. Oh, yeah with good reporting because these guys all think they're the next Woodward and Bernstein. So they're all, you know, trying to do a dig and inside scoop and they get some good information this way. They're also framing it through this lens that's like basically like you say pro-US, pro-capitalist. So you can get both good information and then like de-filter it from what they've done to to get the actual story. That's the best technique.
1: Yeah. I mean for that I would definitely, you know, look into Noam Chomsky again. Um, do a little brush up on that. But yeah, it's kind of just a skill of like, it, it really does feel like you're translating a language.
0: <laughs> yeah. And one important kind of stepping stone, I think, is what you're asking for here of like getting alternative sources. Because then you can read the regular stories and then the cool stories and be like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so that's what they were saying. It kind of guides you with it. Uh, so one good source, I think, for this is Jacobin. You know, they're, they're self admittedly social democratic they're a little soft but it's a good internationalist socialist perspective you know they're never giving you some sort of American exceptionalism bullshit or anything like that so I think they're good if you're into reddit which I just bragged about being regular if if you want to be regular don't maybe (laughs) don't 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 go there but But if you want to dabble and you can have an extremely curated experience there so you don't have to wade into the cesspools that are some of these (laughs) subreddits but um when I'm looking for leftist perspectives on various topics, there's a few I hit up. And they, they, they both have this format. So there's communism and communism 101, uh, which is like communism is just like, it's kind of a Marxist-Leninist slash MLM sort of orientation. There's one like general content, and then the 101 is like a Q and a sort of learning about sort of thing. So people post questions like, what does Marx mean by whatever, you know, that sort of thing. And then there's the same thing for socialism, which is like bigger tent. It's not as like Marxist Leninist. Both of these are, I think, good places to just use that search function, see what's going on. Like, you know, when there's a coup going down somewhere or people are talking about invading something, there's, you know, what's going on with this sort of
1: thing. <laughs> okay, good. Uh,
0: and then podcasts and here I'm going to risk, I'm going to say, uh, plugging our, our comrades here rather than our competition. <laughs>
1: Yes, no competition in the socialist state.
0: Yes, uh there are plenty of good podcasts out there besides ours to help you kind of see through things. If you're wanting like a focus on this idea of the media and how to better read it and how to kind of see patterns in what they're all doing, uh one good podcast for that is citations needed. These guys they're they're not like I don't think they're like actual communists or anything, but they have a good generally left perspective and critical of of the media as essentially US propaganda outlet. I mean, yeah, true. <laughs> so, they they I mean, they they do their homework, they break it down. They have like a topic. So they're like the media's unfair portrayal of like homelessness and and you know, it's biased there and everything. And they they they'll go through and and break it all down and and show what it what they're really trying to do basically. Okay. Then for like just more current events, more analysis, things like that from a leftist perspective. One of the ones I like uh, is Rev Left Radio. I mentioned it before.
1: Yeah, they're a great source.
0: Yeah, they've they've got good history, good theory, good current events too. Um, sometimes he does like real short ones where he just like does a little quick rant or something about like something that's happening in the news, like just gets it off his chest sort of thing. So that's a good one. Comrade Brett O'Shea out there. Guerrilla History, he's on that one too. And there's other guys as well. Uh, these Professors, I want to say. Guerrilla history is good, like anti imperialist leftist analysis. Uh, Lots of history, but also some current events, especially when shit starts popping off. They're like, whoa, what's the background on this? And so you can really start to better understand when something like Ukraine happens why is that happening?
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah.
0: Another one I'll plug uh, that does a lot of current events. That's to me easy to understand. Although I get the criticism that it's sometimes simplistic. Is economic update with uh, Richard Wolff. Mm, yeah, that guy. I think it's real clear cut, especially um, if you know if, if you're newer to the project and everything. I mean, because he'll he'll like mix in Marx in a way that's easy to understand versus like just slogging through Capital. <laughs> but he likes to do uh, current events and things in too to, to kind of like show where this is happening. That's cool in our world. Yeah. Uh, and the last one is a little more localized in Alabama, but it's still kind of interesting. Uh, the Valley Labor Report.
1: Yeah, I think i heard of them.
0: Yeah. So they're like a left uh, wing radio show in Alabama that focuses on labor issues. So they're obviously always doing current events and stuff and, and talking about like unionization efforts and strikes and strike funds and different things to kind of support the labor movement there. Very cool. All right. Yeah. Again, the number one tip is get good at decoding, demystifying, pulling back that veil, get you one of those pairs of glasses from They Live and you can see what they really mean.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, We have now reached the praxis section. As you all may recall, we made a little pledge to do a little more out there. Try to get more involved with things. Do some mutual aid. Do some actual work. Do something. Do something. (laughs) More than sitting on our asses yapping in a mic. But uh <laughs> we also received a couple emails from folks telling us what they did. So we want to talk about that. Let's start with this awesome email from Cassie. And she tells us about some of her activities. My practice for this month is donating to my county's culture committee, who are having a day of remembrance for the Sand Creek Massacre, where natives are coming to speak. I'm also big into mutual aid. So I sent my friend some money for an unexpected bill. And my partner paid for his friend's meds because they had a hard time paying for them this month. In general, I've started to live my values more over the last year I've been listening to you guys. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> I always give people the option to not pay me for stuff. I don't need the money because I want to do things for free if possible. It makes them uncomfortable but also introduces a new way of exchange and brings joy to my work. It feels like I'm giving a gift. I recently wrote a book and did a pay-what-you-want model. I ended up getting 10 to $60 for every book sold and gave some away as well. It was really cool and balanced out in the end. My partner loves to cook, so he'll make a big one-pot meal for a local food kitchen. They bring us ingredients in a pot and then pick up the finished food. We also have skill parties where all our friends come over and we drink and learn how to make bread or pasta or wine or candles. It gives me a sense of power to learn things that are so basic with those I love. It makes me feel more prepared for whatever bullshit is coming for us in the future. It's cool to eat, drink, use everyone's stuff afterwards, too. If possible, we try to keep $20 bills in the car for homeless folks, and if we don't have any, we will run to an ATM if there's one around. Our neighbors sell tamales and offer to do lawn stuff for us, so we keep cash on us for them as well. Lastly, I dropped out of having, quote, normal jobs. I've been gardening for people in my neighborhood, teaching them about edible weeds in their lawn, and giving them suggestions on lawn replacement. Walking their dogs, painting garages, doing odd jobs. Not only am I more free from the system, but am getting to know my community, I'm going to make all my clients apple butter for the end of the season as a thank you. We just try to be as generous and helpful as possible because that feels like all we can really do for one another in this hellscape. Cassie, you are amazing.
0: (laughs) That is dope. You're living the dream. Uh, You're starting the commune before it's there.
1: Totally. Like, that's such a great example of, like, really living in and for your neighborhood. I love it.
0: And I like the, uh, the idea of preparing... At a time for whatever the storm brings.
1: <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, man. I like Honestly, this, this email was a big inspiration to me. Like There were so many small things from this. I'm like, oh, I could do that. I could start keeping money in my car. My husband is a fantastic cook. I could call up a food kitchen and be like, hey, do you have a thing like this where I can just make a meal for you and drop stuff off? Like, totally. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of stuff here that I think our listeners could use to get ideas.
0: That would be cool. I would kind of want to do that.
1: I love the yard stuff, too. I one day want to zero skate my yard. I think that'll be cool.
0: Mm. Now, this is good. A lot of little ways, a lot of little things to do.
1: Yeah. But that, I think they really add up. I think it's super yeah, impressive. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, more on the question end of things from Renee. How can people like me, high school students, who have conservative Republican parents and family members actively join or do something Marxist-Leninist in my community? I'm also in a conservative states and all my friends are conservative. Um, So I included this in this section because I think Cassie gave us some great recommendations to start with, uh, but I also wanted to address, like, some other options. And I will start by talking a little bit about what I did this month. (laughs) So I went and volunteered at the Oak Cliff Veggie Project, um, which is a community garden, and it is um, a nonprofit that basically works to One, build a garden and, you know, do all the work that that entails, um, and also distribute food to people who need it. They just have a sign that's like, free food, you can just pull up and get food, like no questions asked. And they also make deliveries. Um, So it was a really cool day. Um, I think they have volunteer days, like the second Saturday of every month. Uh, I found Mm -hmm. out through Instagram, and I was like, that sounds great. Let's do it. So I spent some time like helping in the garden, like clearing out the shed and kind of moving stuff around for them. Um, and then I switched over to, like, food bag prep, building these uh, veggie bags for people. And then I helped with deliveries, uh, and that was for uh, renal patients. So they had like, specific dietary needs, and so, you know, taking their produce to them. Yeah, it was really good. I met some cool people, and I'd love to go again. Yeah, I, I recommend a project like that. Um, just a few hours on a Saturday.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and that's not even... Like you say, all your friends are conservative, conservative Republican So It's not really objectionable to just be like, oh, I'm helping feed people, you know?
1: Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is uh, this actually is like sponsored by a church, uh, which like listeners, you know how I feel about (laughs) religion. You might be surprised. (laughs) But like the end work they're doing, like to me, it didn't matter. Like, yeah, you threw a Bible verse on your business card and put it in the bag. But like, who cares? Like you gave people food. I I think, you know, if you want to look into like some you know, parent approved mutual aid, I think maybe a, a program like that might be a good fit. That makes sense. But yeah, back to the question. I think overall, it's going to be hard to answer this without knowing exactly how much freedom you have, you know, like if you have your own car and transportation, if you have the ability to consume your own media without like supervision, you know, extracurriculars, stuff like that, but, you know, we're gonna try. <laughs> uh, use what you can. I would say the number one thing you can do is to keep learning. Get a library card and read all those books that get people in trouble.
0: <laughs>
1: uh I think that's huge.
0: Yeah, and you can always do the like the reverse of the uh hiding the comic book and the textbook thing. <laughs> so if you, you know, you've got a the Communist Manifesto or The Conquest of Bread, but it's like stuffed in <laughs> A cosmopolitan man you know or just something <laughs> just that they something expect to be yeah the bible vogue
1: <laughs> or you could just read the parts of the bible that are socialist
0: yeah just just <laughs> yeah break you out the diggers reading guide <laughs> to the bible and you'll be good uh there's there's some good stuff called liberation theology oh yeah don't call it that but you know dig into it yourself figure out like what the cool points are we'll probably do an episode on that in the future
1: yeah definitely and
0: then you can kind of like Wow, we don't really know if they're religious. It just says conservative. Yeah, that's Republican.
1: true. We're making some assumptions here.
0: <laughs> so sorry <laughs> if they're not religious. That doesn't apply then. But uh, anyway, hide your communist literature in a Glenn Beck book or something. You know? <laughs> that's oh my advice.
1: Oh god. But yeah, I I think looking into a, a neutral, quote unquote, neutral cause like food, you know, food pantries or something that's affiliated with the church um uh, might appease to more conservative family members like how are you gonna say like don't feed people i'm sure people do i'm sure conservatives have arguments <laughs> against that <laughs> don't get me wrong sure but that's i think maybe a good start but yeah i mean overall i mean having grown up in a conservative environment um i'd say it is kind of a balance of making sure you are not ostracized by your friends and family and like you feel like you have nobody and trying to live your values like I don't like (laughs) sounds dark, but like sometimes you're going to just going to have to focus on surviving and, and getting through it until you have more independence, um, you know, do what you can and find those places where you can be yourself for sure. And, you know, maybe online is, that is the place for you to do that. But yeah, I I think it's going to be kind of a balancing act between keeping yourself safe and keeping yourself happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. There is just a ton more you can do once you're out from under that thumb.
1: Yeah, for sure. If that is a concern, I guess, if if finances are a concern, you know, maybe getting a part-time job so you don't have to rely on them financially after you turn 18, maybe that's something you're interested in. Yeah, it's just, it's very tough whenever you're in that situation.
0: And that's safer than like the Stalin alternative of robbing banks.
1: (laughs) But not as hot.
0: True. Yeah, it's a (laughs) trade-off
1: always. (laughs) Next, we have an email from Ian, our friend from DSA. Heck yeah. So he says that he is now in law school. I was waiting to write in because I was trying to arrange to do work for a union to fulfill the law school's pro bono requirements. I found it harder than expected to arrange that, so I'm still waiting, but decided to write in anyway with the two things that I have done. First, the school's Federalist Society invited Scott Stewart to speak on campus. He's the lawyer who argued Dobbs versus Jackson, Women's Health, in front of the Supreme Court, and is responsible for overturning Roe v. Wade. I feel like a real Ooh, asshole.
0: Ooh, Yeah, Scott Stewart sucks.
1: Fuck that guy. So along with my comrades in the National Lawyers Guild and in cooperation with the ACS, which is the liberal org on campus, and Outlaw, the uh, LGBTQ org on campus, I helped to organize a protest of the event, which I think was fairly successful. Nice. Yeah, impressive. Second, I'm also working on radicalizing a liberal classmate. I've gotten him to recognize that revolution might be necessary. Hey, that's huge. Damn. And have him reading a leftist book, so it's going well. Excellent. Yeah, way to convert.
0: Those liberals, they love a good argument, man. Oh, yeah. Spin them some good logic.
1: (laughs) They will feel accomplished for months.
0: (laughs) Logic is on your side with that. And also emotion, so they're like ripe. For the pickings if you can argue well that's true you know, very true say a lot of well ian you obviously know this if you're converting people but to the rest of the listeners you know <laughs> say a lot of like you said that's mm-hmm. the, the most persuasive phrase in the english language to be honest
1: <laughs> i've heard you like basically get our mother to admit that she's socialist with that <laughs> phrase so <laughs> you've done well
0: it's yeah I, I lean on it it's my crutch for sure <laughs> it's a good one <laughs> i love the success that ian had in both of those putting together that protest, radicalizing folks.
1: Hell yeah. Keep it up.
0: Good job, Ian. Now on the other end of the spectrum, yeah, me. All right. All right. So my praxis mission failed basically, or rather has been postponed. Okay. So I don't know this, this experience made me think a little bit more about my role as what Marx would call a bourgeois intellectual. And uh, so I don't know. I I've, I feel like I'm a little bit more okay with that. A little less guilty. uh, Yeah. A little less guilty, a little less agonizing about it. Having seen so many of the, I I probably didn't see all of the options, but so many of the options that like, Oh, what if I do this? What if that? And, and like I shrunk away from all of them, basically. I'm just (laughs) like, "Eh, no, I don't want to. It's scary. I have to talk and you know, all this. I have resolved to do something. Yeah. It's going to be smaller in scope. I'm going to, do a little volunteer with the church that I intend. They're going to be putting together these uh, little bags of supplies and shit for like homeless people. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw that on there and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that, but it's not till like late November, but I feel like it's going to be, it's, it's way smaller in scope. It's, but to me, that's like more reasonable, than what I initially set out to look for of like, what if I joined like a real ass organization Mm -hmm. and started doing stuff? And I feel like I set the bar way high for what I actually am comfortable doing.
1: (laughs) No, no. I I totally get that. And like, I I think I, I did that to myself too. Like originally that weekend I was also going to go to a DSA meeting and I was going to seriously take a look at like getting more involved in one of the committees there. And like, I didn't do any of that shit. Like I did one thing for like three hours, one day. I, I don't know. Again, I'm very inspired by our listeners in in the idea of like try different levels of things and see what sticks. You know.
0: Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking of doing here is hopefully doing something small and like that being okay, mm-hmm. maybe building off of it. But if it doesn't, you know, I mean, the the revolution does need leaders, but it also needs followers. So I'll be I'll <laughs> you be, be a follower. <laughs>
1: You can be like the the living library that we're like, hey, what did that guy do again that sucked? And you're like, well, it was this. We shouldn't do that. Like, all right, thanks. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: When the internet is
1: gone, when the internet's uh, out, we have you.
0: <laughs> I don't know. That was my experience in it. Is it, I do feel a little bit less like like you said, guilty or anguished. You know about like, oh, I should be, I'm um, you know, thirty something already, and I haven't, you know, <laughs> taken part in a revolution. All this ridiculous shit that we see. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of fine. You know, um, I do want to be involved more, you know, and I think that, you know, probably going to DSA meetings is not like going to be bad for us if we start Mm -hmm. trying to make that a regular thing and then ease our way into like trying to work with committees and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I don't know. I think it'd be probably be good for us, but I want to start small because I just, I don't know. I was just. It really wasn't even putting anything off. I started this like the weekend that we first mentioned it, <laughs> looking at it and stuff, but everything was just so nerve wracking to me. So. Just overwhelming. Yeah. I was like, mm, I don't know. So kind of a failure, sort of a realization, hopefully a growth in the future. I feel like this was a tarot card reading or something. <laughs> a <laughs> yeah, failure, you your... a realization, a growth.
1: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Uh, no, I I totally get it. Um and I, I don't know, this sounds very, you know, not to toot my own horn here, but like the fact that these listeners like said that we inspired some of their action, like that's mm-hmm. fucking rad.
0: That <laughs> is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's super that cool. Awesome. And I, I will say again, as the person who manages our social media and our emails, like we get a lot of uh feedback from our listeners that are like hey like thanks like you made me a socialist like that's great we have converted a few people we got them
0: awesome (laughs) so
1: we did something and yeah listeners please keep sending this my ego needs it
0: (laughs) it (laughs) sustains
1: me (laughs) and i'll I'll also make it public put it on apple put it on itunes or whatever yeah (laughs) anyway I think it's it's tricky and I, I would love to find more ways to get involved. I, I particularly on a neighborhood level, like I should probably start going to my neighborhood meetings and like start feeling people out over there and like see what the deal is and you know, that's that's something I'd love to work towards. So yeah, let's we've got got stuff we want to do.
0: <laughs> yeah. And thank you again, uh, to Ian, to Renee, to Cassie. Oh, to all the listeners who sent in questions. Oh,
1: week. absolutely. Yeah, they're great.
0: And yeah congrats or solidarity absolutely uh, to you guys who who met the praxis challenge good job y'all what are we doing next week
1: next week i am taking us down a medieval path we are going to learn about the chumpy revolt
0: the chumpy revolt yes okay is it cool
1: it's cool i will go ahead and say up front it is not explicitly socialist but I think it is an interesting example of medieval economics.
0: <laughs> okay. That's, that's, I mean, that is uh, not as far from Marx as you would expect. I mean, exactly. You know, Marx and Engels, they both did a lot of research into pre-capitalist societies and stuff and wrote about that a lot. So maybe there's some intersection.
1: I I think there is. I think it's an interesting analysis of what that that proto-capitalist structure looked like and how it affected people and all that kind of shit. So, yeah, we'll learn about that.
0: Excellent. I'll see you then. Hopefully, we'll get the Praxis ball rolling (laughs) on my end before then. Awesome. Not before then, but, you know.
1: Soon. I believe in We'll get it going. It's going to happen. Thank you. (laughs) I'll keep bugging you if you want.
0: All right, yeah, kind of.
1: I can be kind of a taskmaster if you want me to be. <laughs> How do you think I have two jobs in a podcast? I am my own taskmaster.
0: For real, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. Talk to you next week. See ya. Me. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email that's teachmecommunism at com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon for five bucks a month. You get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up and coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes. So check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye y'all.